Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. When I was in Asheville last weekend, that's Asheville, North Carolina, for the George Nori Live event, I performed a few magic tricks when I came out on stage. And that's not something I usually do because I don't want people to confuse the work that I do with real magic with some of the trickery that goes into stage magic. But it was a fun thing. It was an entertaining thing. And uh, and I did one trick that was documented, actually. Um, you see, at the event, nobody is allowed to film or you really shouldn't be taking pictures. But uh, when I first came out on stage, Lauren snuck out her cell phone and she just got a little snippet, you know, a little bit of video of me performing. And I'll tell you what she captured. Uh, Interesting how all this worked out. Uh, George told a joke earlier in the night. And the joke went something like, okay, a guy is having some problems and he goes to the proctologist. So the proctologist is examining the fella, and he says, what the... And the proctologist pulls out a bouquet of flowers and says, where did this come from? And the guy says to the doctor, I don't know, read the card. So fittingly enough, when I came out doing my little magic routine, wearing a top hat, at the end of it, I go up there and poof. I produce a bouquet out of thin air and hand it to George. I mentioned this in a previous podcast. So, and that's the one that got tossed into the audience. Well, Lauren actually got that on video. And so I have posted this and um, I'm going to tell you how you can see that video at the end of this podcast. And while I was uh, there in Western North Carolina, I, uh, you know, I got to talk to a lot of people about a lot of interesting subjects, and at George Norrie Live, I mean, uh, we touched on all kinds of things, UFOs, and the Brown Mountain Lights, and ghosts, and curse dolls, but you got to keep it moving, you got to really keep it moving, and so um, there was one lady in the audience who posted on my Facebook page that she wished that I had more time to go into the brown mountain lights and uh, i always tell people hey if you want to know about the brown mountain lights uh i have put out a ton of content about the brown mountain lights it's very very easy to find i mean i've been all over tv and you can find clips of that stuff but the best thing to do is go to brownmountainlights.com and that is uh, one of my websites, I own it, brownmountainlights.com. Mountain is all spelled out. And you'll find all kinds of free information there, you know, uh, pictures and descriptions. But the best thing you can do is scroll down the homepage and download the free PDF of a booklet I wrote about the Brown Mountain Lights. I was hired to write this official booklet on the lights by the Burke County Tourism Authority. And so this is the official Brown Mountain Lights book. And uh, again, you can download it for free at brownmountainlights.com. 
But I will tell you something that's really interesting about Brown Mountain. Um, I was watching the new In Search Of series hosted by Zachary Quinto. And as a matter of fact, I was interviewed for that series. And unless I end up on the cutting room floor, I'm supposed to be in two of the, well, well one or two of the episodes coming up soon. Um, one is about like the Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle. And the other one is about curses and people who go out investigating like cursed spots and get into trouble so hopefully i made the cut we had to film that when i was in uh, puerto rico and it was an unusual situation but uh they had i guess one of the last maybe i guess the last episode i just watched on my uh, dvr is about sinkholes which is an odd topic for in search of to cover because it's it, it just seems like, okay, uh, there's a weak spot in the Earth's crust, and it collapses. So, I mean, I, it, I, but they were trying to put this, like, s- spiritual, supernatural twist on it. And, yes, it's a spooky, creepy thing, but it, it just didn't quite feel to me like an in-search-of topic. But, nonetheless, it was an interesting show. And they were, they were pointing out all these different places in the United States that are prone to have sinkhole activity. And North Carolina was not one of them and I find it interesting that you know North Carolina only has one show cave meaning one cave that you can pay money and go visit as a tourist attraction in the whole state and North Carolina is a sizable state and it is basically right down the road from Brown Mountain and where the Brown Mountain lights are I've mentioned before that Brown Mountain uh, it's the focal point of this phenomenon of these strange lights appearing and dancing around the mountains. But you could, uh, instead of calling them the Brown Mountain Lights, more accurately call them the Linville Lights because they're really seen all over this area called Linville, which surrounds Brown Mountain. Brown Mountain is a part of Linville. And so the Linville Caverns, North Carolina's only show cavern, um, is interestingly placed because a lot of people have talked about the relationship between the brown mountain lights and underground chambers so i'll get back to that in a minute but i used to teach classes in person from time to time paranormal investigation classes and take people on field trips i don't have time to do that anymore i I don't do too many uh workshops or instructional things at all anymore i just don't have the time which is why It's a pretty big deal that I'm doing this one in Los Angeles in October. I mean, I'm telling you, it's worth flying to Los Angeles to to do this wishing machine workshop on October 13th with me. It really is. And I don't foresee myself being able to do another one of these possibly ever. Um, My schedule is just getting busier and busier, and I'm becoming more and more particular about how I manage my time. But I used to uh, take students out on field trips, and one of them would be a day trip to explore the Linville area and the Brown Mountain Lights. And so we would always make a stop at the Linville Caverns, and I always really enjoyed it. It, it, it does bother me to, to, to go down into a cavern um, because uh, I know it could collapse, or a part of it could collapse, and now you're stuck in like some kind of a hellish nightmare. I mean, I, but I've been into many of them, 
and uh, you know you throw caution to the wind once in a while, and so but this you know the, the Linville Caverns seem to be pretty stable. And by the way, um, I've been to caverns and caves all over the place. Uh, one of the most amazing is the Kamui uh, Caverns in Puerto Rico, and. I've heard different definitions of cave versus caverns. One of the definitions that I heard was, well, a a cave only has one entrance and caverns have multiple entrances and exits. Well, that may be, but if you really start looking at how geologists talk about it, they sort of say that a cave is any depression in the earth that is deep enough so that part of it never receives sunlight. And a cavern on the other hand, is a network or a a system of caves. So I think that's sort of, you know, the the more professional way of viewing it. But that said, um, the Linville Caverns, if you ever go to the Brown Mountain area, you got to plan to make a stop and go into the Linville Caverns. They are beautiful. Those are the first uh, caverns I ever visited in my life. My mom and dad took me there when I was a kid. And in fact, if you go to their website, it's really interesting. I want to just read to you what it says on their website about um, about the history of the place. It says, for centuries, the marvels of Linville Caverns were unknown to man. In the early 1800s, a fishing expedition headed by Henry E. Colton of eastern North Carolina were astounded to see fish swimming in and out of what appeared to be rather solid rock. A small opening in the mountainous terrain allowed them to enter the subterranean recess that is still home to native trout in an underground stream. Colton, who later served as the state geologist of Tennessee, wrote of his exploration in an 1858 issue of North Carolina Presbyterian. Here's the, a, a quote. Here's the passage from him. Here's what he wrote. Now began the wondrous splendors of the hidden world. We emerged into an immense passage whose roof was far beyond the reach of the glare of our torches, except where the fantastic festoons of stalactites hang down within our reach. It looked like the arch of some grand old cathedral, yet it was too sublime, too perfect in all its beautiful proportions to be anything of human, but a model which man might attempt to imitate. It was not a large, gross cavern. Pendants were of a delicate lightness and a most beautiful hue. Uh, Linville Caverns and that's the end of his passage, but it says Linville Caverns was open for public touring in 1937, and so now, you know, it has all kinds of little sidewalks and uh, pathways and upgrades and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's just amazing to me to think about how that kind of a location is discovered, and especially back in those days. But when it comes to the history of the Linville Caverns, The thing that I found most startling when I got there was that in the late 1800s, when Thomas Edison was trying to invent and then perfect the light bulb, he sent 
a mineralogist to the Linville Caverns to just go down in there and scrape around and see if he could find something new, just something new to test out that might work as a filament and a light bulb. And, you know, Thomas Edison was an astounding person, uh, one of the greatest geniuses who has ever lived. I know he has a bad rap. A lot of people think that he was a real jerk, uh, and he probably was in many cases. He electrocuted an elephant just for show. So, you know, that tells you something about the guy. But he was absolutely brilliant when it came to, you know, seeing the world in a mechanical way and inventing things. And, you know, when Edison was sending people out to try to, you know, gather items for the light bulb, it gives you a good example of how he worked. I mean, he had, when he was at his, you know, height, he had a, a... pretty much a, a, small, a small army of engineers and scientists who would just travel all over the place and collect specimens to bring back, would work on little side projects, and, you know, they were assigned to little, little parts of projects, and very much the way that research is done today, actually, in these big corporations. And, and it must have just been incredible to have that meeting with Thomas Edison where he says, I want you to go way down into the mountains of Western North Carolina and find, you know, a local who will guide you to these caves where you have to go down inside this rough natural cave and just take scrapings of things. I mean, to to get to the Linville Caverns today is a pretty, you know, decent drive into wilderness. And I can't imagine the journey it must have taken in the 1800s for that guy to come down from probably New Jersey and uh, (laughs) make his way uh, horse and buggy style or whatever, however they did it, probably horseback uh, to get close to the actual caverns, to go there uh, and, and really be at the mercy of the elements. I mean, you're camping out for days at a time just to make that trip there. And then when you get there, well, electrical lighting doesn't exist because you haven't invented it. So, yeah, you have torches and lanterns and you're you're creeping down into this cavern system that is not yet a tourist attraction, okay? Uh, what an amazing concept. And um, it shows you the extent to which Thomas Edison would go. And that's why, of course, when he was working on the light bulb and he'd, he'd not been able to achieve it, he was interviewed and he gave that famous quote, I have not failed. I just found 1,000 ways that won't work. End quote. That's a good attitude to have if you're determined to get something done. And he was a very determined fellow. Of course, in the end, it turned out it was the simplest of things. It was just a charred piece of thread, just a strand of carbon after all that work. But to me, when you think about somebody like Thomas Edison and him you know, sending out people to collect, collect things from Mother Nature and bring back, it's a big statement about the respect that he had for Mother Nature. And it's very odd that we live in a day and age now where when we think of so much of our world as being man-made, 
But that's absolutely false. There is nothing that's man-made. Man is not capable of making anything. All we're capable of doing is taking the things that are already here around us and arranging them in a new way. So you can call that, I guess, man-made, but we are egotistical to think that we can really make anything. So that's an interesting part of the history of Linville Caverns. But since that's the only show cave in North Carolina, people often think, well, North Carolina doesn't have that many caves. And obviously it's not as porous as some of these other states where you have sinkholes and stuff opening. But considering that Linville is right down, or the Linville Caverns are right down the road from the Brown Mountain in the Brown Mountain area, that makes it even more enticing when you hear these stories about people who claim that they have, in fact, discovered these large caves inside Brown Mountain where UFOs are porting, where there are aliens. Some of these caves are filled with crystals. One fellow named Ralph Lell, who said he was abducted up there a number of times in the 1960s, said that he, he found a crystal cave, and that's where he came into contact with the aliens. And it is a fact that when you are walking around Brown Mountain, there are times where you've got to watch your step because you'll just look down, and there will be a big hole. And you look down and uh, through that hole into the ground, and uh, you can see water rushing underneath. And so that has always been you know, part of, of one of my theories that as that water rushes across these layers of rock all throughout the mountain that it builds up a charge on some of these layers so I'll probably talk a little bit more about the brown mountain lights um, later this fall when they sort of reach their peak but I really do think that um, the, the, the underground structure if you will around brown mountain plays uh, an interesting and significant role in what these lights are, how they're formed, where they're coming from. So, again, getting back to the uh, the lady who wanted to know more about Brown Mountain, go to brownmountainlights.com, read the free PDF, and, um, and also take a field trip there. Um, you know, this fall is a great time a great time. They usually seem to be most prominent in um, late summer and then fall. But, um, you know, when you're on the internet and you're clicking around, there are all kinds of interesting things you can research and places to visit where you'll find, uh, well, supplemental content to this podcast. And if you want to see if you want to see the video of the bouquet of flowers being magically produced by me on stage for George Nori, it's very simple. All you do is go to joshuapwarren.com, go to the curiosity shop, and I'm going to make you go to the curiosity shop. I'm not going to post this on social media. You go to the curiosity shop, you have to scroll down, and then you'll see a little word at the bottom that says bouquet. And when you click that word, it will take you to the video clip. It's not very long. It's shot from the audience, but you can definitely see what happens. And while you're there, I hope you'll explore the, the site in general. By the way, I, um, 
I made, you know, uh, I guess a, a couple years ago, I, I invented these glasses called Aura glasses. And these are, I'm talking one of a kind, never before designed glasses. You wear them and you go through a simple exercise and very soon you will begin to see the paranormal. Um, you, it's a way of training your eyes. So you can not only see the aura around humans and pets and plants, um, and, and actually see it change. You can tell in some cases if somebody is being honest with you or dishonest or what kind of mood they're in by seeing the colors of the aura. It also helps you see what I consider spiritual energies. It opens the third eye. So if that's something that you want to experiment with, um, I sold out of the glasses before. I made one batch. But I decided for the George Nori event that I would make another batch, just a, a small one and um, we still have some left we did not sell all of them so if you would like to get I talked I said yesterday if you wanted a t-shirt and you know your size is if it's okay for it to be a a women's XL contact me and I'll sell you a t-shirt for $25 with the money sigil well today I'm telling you I don't know how many of these pairs of aura glasses we have uh, but it's not on it's not on the website. It's not in the curiosity shop anymore. But if you want a pair of these aura glasses with instructions, uh, I will ship them to you for twenty five dollars, including shipping and handling. But you have to email me and tell me you want them, and I'll send you an invoice because this is a specialty item. I don't have any plans to put this on the website. Um, it's just again some leftovers from the event. $25. You can't beat that for a pair of these unique aura glasses with instructions designed by me. But uh, if, and again, that's not at the Curiosity Shop, but if you go to the Curiosity Shop, you scroll down, you'll see the word bouquet, click it, and you'll find the video. Um, also, while you're at the website, you know, you can go to the link to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. That's because I try to leave one for you every day. It's always short. It's always free. You can subscribe through various means or follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and interest. Thank you for staying curious, and I will talk to you again soon.